I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. How are you? I am doing well, Jill. It was a long meeting last night. It and was. There was um, there's really four major topics that we can cover today that synthesize what happened last night. Yeah. Let's get into the first because the superintendent opened by celebrating the teachers of the year. So you're right, Jill. This is each year the school committee celebrates the teachers of the year. And last night they celebrated some amazing teachers and paraprofessionals who are in our schools. And it was really a wonderful opportunity for the principals of each school to honor the educators, talk about all their amazing work. And the school committee acknowledged that it is not only these teachers and paraprofessionals and support staff that are amazing, but in fact, we have such amazing teachers in the Boston Public Schools. It was a great event last night. Then when we moved on to union contracts and several were settled. Yeah, this is a big deal. In the day and age when, you know, now we hear about contracts being hard to be settled in schools. Mm-hmm. Last night, the school committee voted on three contracts for unions in our school district, including the food service workers, mm-hmm. the patrolmen or school safety officers, and the custodians. And all of those contracts have been settled. A couple of them have been settled retroactively and then proactively. So they'll be settled for the next couple of years. And it's, it's a pretty big deal. We've heard in the last few school committee meetings, a number of contracts coming to be settled. And We also heard a little bit of concern from school committee members about these contracts, and their concern was we haven't been involved in understanding these contracts or what we're getting out of them and what are the reforms, if you will. We want to make sure that anything that comes before this body has ample time to be dissected, discussed, and, you know, we're we're good for going five to six hour meetings on that anyway, but I think it's intentional to just to be mindful, and I think that's a message to all of our negotiations and just how we handle them and making sure that it's open to be discussed in a public Mm -hmm. forum and that we're giving opportunity for feedback to be solicited. It was a repeat of the conversation from several months ago, which ended up the school committee members were right, that if they had been more involved, they kind of had to ask questions at the last minute. It ended up, you know, that they were kind of right in some of their pushbacks about the bus driver's contract. And so I think they were just pushing back again, saying, why are, why are we not more involved? Yeah. It feels like a little bit of like a rush to push these through, but it's clear that there's an interest in settling as many contracts as possible and they're getting settled. So there you go. They were getting settled by Boston conceding to a number of requests, right? All of them are, are being settled by modest increases in salaries mm-hmm. and as well as including more benefits such as days paid off and, and more holidays and other concessions. But this is what it does take to to ensure that we're attracting a great workforce mm-hmm. and, and we're mm-hmm. paying people appropriately, especially in this time of inflation, when it's very expensive to even live in or around our city. These all seem to be fair wages paid to our public sector employees. The questions that the school committee members may be asking is, what else are we getting? Are there, are there other things that we need to address in these contracts? None of those were discussed last night, but they were all approved. All right. So then the report of the evening, well, there are a couple, but the equity report. Right. So, so Jill, the Office of Equity is required to provide a report each year, which they did last night. What we heard from the Office of Equity was that during the 2021-2022 school year, so this is actually data from last school year. This is not this school year, mm-hmm. this data. The Office of Equity responded to 2,794 formal employee, student, and family concerns. They had 50 investigations, 47 investigative reviews of con- that was conducted by their office. 
They had 1,150 investigations conducted by school administrators that they oversaw. They had 809 disability, pregnancy, and religious accommodation requests. They had 553 consultations with schools or central office administrators. And then they had 185 requests for LGBTQ plus student support in, in the district. This is last year. They also conducted 52 training sessions. So 27 equity protocol sessions, 16 LGBTQ plus student support sessions, and some other sessions along the way. The most concerning number was the student-on-student sexual misconduct number, where in FY22, again, this is last school year, there were 759 reports of student-on-student sexual misconduct. The previous data that is, is in, probably is probably FY19, FY20. So FY19, there was 518 reports. And FY20, there was 319 reports. That's sort of the start of COVID. So the number has gone up really significantly on student-on-student sexual misconduct. So it is really concerning. And, and the Office of Equity was basically saying, look, we're dealing with all of these cases. We're looking for trends. We're providing training. There wasn't a conversation around what is the universality of training of school staff, of, of students of, of at the school level. None of that was discussed last night. And so there is no mandatory start of the year training. There are circulars that mm-hmm. staff are required to read and sign off on. Mm-hmm. They know what the protocols are for the Office of Equity, but there's no necessarily, there's not necessarily training each year. So there was a poll put out actually today from Mass Inc., which is a Shaw Foundation funded, which is a poll of about 900 or so parents of students in BPS. And that poll noted that seven out of 10 parents feel like their kids are unsafe in the Boston public schools. Really substantial number. It seemed like the approach that the district has taken is that we are trying to manage this all out of a centralized resource as opposed to arming teachers and principals and other professionals in the schools who are, you know, kind of intimately involved with a certain number of kids to help them manage issues or prevent issues before they happen at, at the school level. And, and so it did seem like there was a lot of discussion about how things boil up and then get noticed as there's a lot of incoming into central, you know, that that's so that seems very reactive as opposed to proactive. I'm not I'm not trying to. Uh, the issue is a massive issue. There's a lot of different inputs that are causing the problems. Right. And we, the, our families and the students in our schools have been through a really tumultuous couple of years, as well as the as the teachers and staff in schools. And so I don't mean to belittle what anyone is doing, but you just have to wonder if there's some more and some more that should be done or if things should be done differently or more comprehensively to kind of lower the tenor that folks are feeling right now of unsafety. So Jill, it does seem like there, there's a deeper conversation to be had here at the school system. The, the concern around safety in our schools, the concern around the social emotional health of our students and mm-hmm. our staff. And this is not just one department. It's not just the Office of Equity that's responsible for all of this. So I think there is a different systems level conversation that should have occurred here and that did not occur. Right. So it seems like maybe there's something to dig in more so there, you know, the because the report was a required report, I think, from from the Office of Equity. But there's definitely it was it was at the end of the meeting, and there's some meaty discussion that should have followed. I think people maybe they're just exhausted by the time it gets to be that late. But it seems like this is something that the community is really expressing concern over, and it 
needs the attention of school committee. Well, Jill, that, those you know to your point, that was the last report of the evening, yeah. um, and certainly probably could have gone before the school naming report. Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of our order of priority, <laughs> I probably would have put the office of equity report earlier in the yeah. meeting, and and maybe the school naming. Maybe just talk about what the school naming report yeah. was. It very. It was a. This is a report. We, you know, historically, it wasn't short. It was not short. Historically, communities have come to the school committee asking to rename a building or or something in honor of somebody. Yeah. And last night we heard a few of these that have, I guess have all come together. So one of them, I, I think, a re- really really important one was renaming the McKinley School after Mel King. Mel King is just an amazing leader in the city of Boston. He is a, a mentor to so many and has led dramatic change in our city. Mm-hmm. And renaming the McKinley School for Mel King, I think, is a, is a phenomenal idea mm-hmm. and, and, and absolutely should be done. I do feel like to honor Mel King, we have to also address the major issues that are happening at the McKinley School with our students with disabilities. We, we talked about these in our last podcast, but the McKinley School is an example of the segregation in our city of students with disabilities into sub-separate settings that never leave the school. Mm -hmm. And major changes have to happen at the McKinley if we are serious about fixing special education and segregation in our school district. There was also renaming of some rooms in Madison Park High School after former headmasters and long-standing employees, which is amazing. There's been such incredible dedicated people to Madison Park High School, and it's great to rename the cafeteria and other spaces in their name. And then there was a list of names for Boston Arts Academy, mm-hmm. probably like a lot of names and, and a lot of rooms. <laughs> Dozens. And uh, this is different though, Jill. This yeah. is different. The, the Boston Arts Academy is basically saying, hey, we want to rename these rooms not only in honor of people, not but rename, name, name them. I'm sorry, the, it's, it's a, a brand, brand new building, building. right? Yeah. Name, name these rooms. Not only in honor of people, but but also to raise funds. And, right. and they why are they? Why do they need to raise funds? Or is this well, their 501c3 that's raising funds? The Boston Arts Academy has a, a separate 501c3, yeah. and they the schools it, it has a different focus. It has a focus on arts and does a tremendous job. It no, really like school. unbelievable job educating students and. That requires additional supports that are not necessarily funded by the Boston Public Schools. And so what they came to the committee for was asking to name a whole lot of rooms Mm -hmm. in their building and to essentially use that to to raise funds. But they weren't asking for permission to raise funds against the names. They were asking for approval of the names. Correct. Correct. So let's just remember that the school committee is in charge of really four things, Jill. Mm -hmm. The school committee is in charge of hiring and firing the superintendent. They're in charge of managing the budget. They're in charge of approving contracts for unions. And they're in charge of setting policy and governance for the district. So I imagine these renaming of rooms is somehow involved in setting policy and governance for the district. But there probably is like some part of this that's like the school committee can lay forward a process and say, hey, you know, come to us maybe for buildings, but maybe not for like the nurse's office or the custodian's room. Like maybe there's like there's some degree of specificity in which the, district, the the school committee can say, here's the process you should go through to rename a room or a building. Well, it's about priority. Whoever's setting the agenda for the school committee meetings, re- like prioritize school naming and a very long discussion about it over the equity report, where a lot of very disturbing facts and figures were presented and there wasn't a conversation. Yeah. That well, was very and, deep. And about I would, those. totally, I, I, there was a lot of time on this topic and it was kind of 
strange. And Jill, I wonder, I mean, here's a policy conversation. Should we raise money off of every room in the district? Like, could we have naming rights for every room? That's an interesting policy conversation that was not addressed last night. Right. I think that's the school committee's job to say, hey, do we actually want to sell off the naming rights to our buildings and our school rooms Right. or not? Right. The policy is also like, how should we engage communities in deciding the naming of our buildings and I guess rooms to some degree? But like, that's the policy. The saying it's well, okay even to- even your point about Mel King- and, you know, this is an incredible guy. So many testified about how incredible he was. School committee members talked about how com- incredible he is. But no one asked the question that you're asking. Like, what are what are we going to do? We're going to rename the McKinley. But there's also conversations that the state, I think, has brought into play there's, around there, how are we going to make whole, the McKinley a better school for I mean, the McKin- students. The, the McKinley was named in the Council of Great City Schools audit a, a pretty significant way saying this school has to be fixed, Yeah. right? So renaming a, an incredibly broken school is not going to fix it. No, that's not a rebranding exercise. So there's a number of public policy issues here, Jill, that were not addressed. Yeah. It, it was sort of skirted over yeah. like much of the other content in this meeting last night. Yeah, that's true. So, so with that said, Jill, there was a you know, there's a lack of conversation on a number of issues that have been in the news, spiraling around the school system, flagged by interest groups and families that are incredibly important. Mm-hmm. First one, transportation. Not this is the first meeting that the superintendent did not mention transportation in her report. However, the Mass Inc. poll published today showed that only 31 percent of parents say their bus was on time over the last week. Yeah, so it's interesting because we don't know if we're going backwards or not because we didn't hear any report on it from the superintendent, even though it was in the 80s, the last time she reported it. So it feels like until you're hitting 95, 100%, you would... The school committee would want to know, where are we on that? Yeah, I think there's probably a hope that like maybe if we stop talking about it, mm-hmm. it will just go away and kids will still, yeah, of course, not be able to get to school, but at least the problem, the talking about it publicly will go away. But this poll, Jill, 31% of parents and guardians mm-hmm. saying their child got to school on time uh, during the poll week, which was like the last week of November, is absolutely horrific. It's a problem. Then there was a conversation on enrollment decline. So there's a big article in the in the papers about enrollment decline and Boston again losing hundreds of students over year over year. But in fact, Boston Public Schools has this sort of green new deal. They keep on projecting that there's going to be more students in the school system. It's really important to get that number right and to ha- and to reset it. BPS knows that their number has gone down. That seems like a policy decision the school committee should talk about. It was raised by Brandon Carter Hernandez last night saying, "Hey, are we concerned about the budget going forward? What are we doing about enrollment decline? What is the strategy or what are you currently thinking about as you're seeing the continued decline and the and what um, at this point I think we can sort of name as a trend? And then how does that impact some of the future conversations we're going to be having as a school committee around school closures or mergers or consolidations? And the question was just sort of glossed over. It is. It always has been the primary revenue driver for the for the district, right? The primary budget driver. It's a per pupil budget number. Is that correct? That's correct. So and maybe it isn't right now because there's so much ESSER funding, you know, floating around and there's other federal money that the city can use. But ultimately, we've had a loss of what it's got to be close to 10,000 students. 
over the past several years. So that it feels like at some point you have to you're going to have to go back and look at budgets. The agenda yes. that is set by the school committee. Yes. The agenda is not signifying that there is major concern about this right. because the agenda is not covering these topics. School committee members are raising questions about these topics, but they're because they're not agenda items, the their answers are no we'll get we'll get back to you on that. Yep. So until the agenda signifies the importance of these issues, yeah. you're, you're not going to see significant conversation around it. Yeah, that's a good point. It, Jill, also, I, I should just note on this enrollment decline, there was a, there's a lot of conversation about black students. Actually, population is, is the largest population leaving the city or not being in our schools. Right. And MECO actually had a, there's a great article just recently on reforms around MECO enrollment and how to get your kid involved in, in MECO, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great program that sends kids to, to schools around, all around our state. That is part of the reason why we're seeing more black students leave the school system potentially. Well, also, it, I mean, there's something happening here behind the scenes or around or around the scenes that is organizing to help students find what is perceived as a better solution That's for right. education. That's right. Also, Jill, Mr. Cordette Hernandez asked a question last night about substitute teachers. He said, hey, uh, I asked this question previously. How many students actually have a substitute teacher in their classroom? Mm-hmm. And if you have a substitute teacher and you don't have a permanent teacher yet, are we going to give parents the opportunity to have their kids go to another school, which actually has a certified teacher? Right. And the answer to that was, we don't know the answer of how many substitute teachers there are, but yeah. we'll get back to you on that. Yeah. And no, we're not we, we're not considering offering parents the option to go to a school with their kids with a permanent teacher. The Massing poll found an answer. Massing poll said 39% of parents say their students had multiple subs this past month. 39% so of over parents a third. Well say their over students a third. had multiple subs this past month. 10% said their child was in a classroom with a sub every day. Yeah, that's crazy. Every day. Well, especially, I'm not sure how they don't know that number if parents know that number. So Jill, this is another one where you know, we were tracking it beginning of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Like how many teachers do we have hired and mm-hmm. what are we doing and what are we doing? And then silence, right? And the agenda no longer has transportation on it, yeah. no longer has teachers on it, no more longer has enrollment decline on it because they're kind of tired of talking about it. It's still a problem, but they're not going to talk about it publicly. Yeah. Well, I mean, as long as they are solving the problems and and we hear about the solutions, that's okay too. But to just have no conversation about it and parents continue to worry and express distress and for kids to continue to leave the district, you know, or families continue to leave the district, like none of you, you would want to see some positive momentum if everything's being handled behind the scenes. Otherwise, it's sort of important, I think, to have the conversation out front in the open. It's a public school district. Wouldn't it be wonderful, Jill, if the school committee actually set the agenda at the end of each meeting and said, hey, here are the things we heard tonight in previous yeah. meetings. Why don't we set the agenda together for the next meeting publicly? Right. I would love to hear a public right. conversation about what the agenda should be at school committee. Well, and you can sort of kind of look out over the next three months and you could decide right now what the agenda item should be. Well, I think we're hitting on all of them right now. Jill, academic performance. Yeah. Jill, 57% of parents in the Massing poll whose kids have fallen behind think schools should be doing more for their family and their students who have fallen behind. Yeah. Now, Jill, there was a recent article that we're going to put in our blog that talks about paper tutoring. Now, we've what talked about- What is paper tutoring? Because yeah. it's very confusing. It's not tutoring on paper. Totally not. It's this online sort of virtual 
You never see the tutor. Right. You never talk to the tutor. You do the sort of chat bot thing mm-hmm. with a tutor. Mm-hmm. And you know, with, on, right. it, it's not designed. With exercises yeah, that are and, supposed to teach you the things that you didn't learn while you were not in school. Totally. And this has been, and years. we spend millions of dollars in a contract using ESSER money. And this has been touted by our chief academic officer and others over and over. Hey, families, just use paper. paper. You get free tutoring, free tutoring for every kid in BPS. We're doing tutoring. We're going to do it. And lo and behold, this platform is being dropped by many other urban districts. And so where's, you know, Boston is basically saying the way we're dealing with kids who are, who've been left behind because of the pandemic and other learning needs is we're giving them a subpar tutoring system called paper rather than an in-person high dosage tutoring with a certified teacher. You know, but there's a bigger problem here too, which is just that, did we invest in this because everybody was doing it? Totally. It was. And now everybody's dropping it. We haven't yet dropped it. We're still touting it as the thing that is our solution. But you just, you know, in our work, we learn about like what CellCon is rolled out, which seems to be very, it's researched and effective or, you know, whatever. There's a plethora of options, but why is this just still sitting there when People aren't using it. Yeah, the, and the, districts the, are dropping. The, the it. usage is in the very lowest percentiles. We're spending millions of dollars. I think because we want to say that we've provided it, and if parents would just use it, everything would be better. And the reality is, it's really a subpar tool that many districts have caught onto. Again, we'll link to the article in our blog. So, so Jill, those are a few of the topics that we would have expected to hear last night. And honestly, until the agenda has those topics on it. We won't get into an honest conversation about what's happening in our school system and how we're addressing those issues and concerns. So I would argue, again, as I have multiple times, the school committee is in charge of setting and reviewing district policies and practices to support student achievement. I would expect the school committee would be advocating for an agenda that has these topics on it that are addressed publicly that give the school committee validity and involvement in making these decisions. And that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. We want to thank our listeners for sending us emails and voicemails with your thoughts. We've heard this week from people advocating for better and more consistent services for multilingual learners and students with disabilities. And we completely agree. We'd love to hear more from you about your thoughts and how BPS is serving your child or your family. Please send us an email at podcast at shawfoundation.org. That's S-H-A-H foundation.org. And if you'd like to share a thought that we may use in a future episode, you can leave us a voicemail at 508-261-5904. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.